Hello, I'm Raymond Hunt. Welcome to my stories. In 2017, I wrote a 600-page novel. The title is uh, The Mind Clones Trilogy. It consists of uh, three different books. The first book, Where the Wind Blows, followed by the second book, The Sun Gox. And finally, the last book in the series, Dawn Breaks. I'm going to read the first chapter in the book. Let me begin now. Today was the 22nd May 2030. It was the last day of the examinations for Year 2 students at Tomasic University, a sprawling campus in Yochukang. Kwan Yi had just submitted his answer booklet to the invigilator and was on his way to the leaf lobby when he felt a tap on his back. He turned. It was Lina. She was glimpsing. Have you heard? What about? It's in the news. We have been taken over. You're not making sense, Lina. Calm down and tell me what has happened. Here, take a look at channelsingapore.com. Lina threw up her smartphone and pushed it into Kwan Yi's hand. Prime Minister dies. Army takes charge in Singapore. The headlines scream. Alamak, there goes our future. Kwan Yi, now's not the time to jazz around. It's simply horrid. We have come under martial law. You know what it's like. Remember the Philippines? The president there declared martial law back in 2017. What will happen to us here? We will lose our freedom. We will be monitored wherever we go. It's not that bad, said a voice from behind them. Tim, you're out, finally, said Kwan Yi. Well, it was a rather difficult paper. You know I hate electromagnetic fields and waves. I'm going to fail this time. Still, all's not lost. I can reseed the paper. Why bother taking up EEE? Nano electronic devices. Nanotechnology. That's where the future is. That's where I'm heading, quipped Tim, spreading up both arms in front of him and looking upwards as if he was contemplating some great idea. For goodness sake, stop it, stammered Lena. The whole world's coming to an end, and here you are, carving out your sweet dreams in the air. Don't be serious. It's the end of the exams. Time to party. Look, Tim. Lena's right. Looks like we may not have jobs waiting for us when we graduate. Huh? What are you guys mumbling about? It's not that bad, right? Here. Take a look at today's headlines. Mr. Cham Thun Boon has suddenly died, and a new guy is in charge. Colonel T. Bak Chuan. Yeah, that's his name, alright. Gosh, who's this chap? 
Never heard of him. You'll soon hear more and lots more, I reckon. He says here, he's commander of the elite FF brigade. He'll be making an announcement on TV at 6 p.m. Rare surname, T, like our RT. You mean Jordan T, the tall footballer? It was getting noisy in the lift lobby. The rest of their cosmates were pouring into the lobby. The resultant chatter of voices was deafening. Everyone was trying hard to be heard. Obviously, news of the takeover had spread. Everyone looked glum. Two hours ago, all were in high spirits, as it was their last paper in the semester. Now, it seemed someone had dropped a huge bomb into their midst. Quan He, Quan He, said a voice from somewhere in the crowd. Navin appeared. Quan He, you are our student leader. Tell us what we should do. Let's wait for Jordan. He's the senior here, but I don't see him anywhere. You can't miss him. He's always wearing his New York baseball cap. Speak of the devil. There he is. Down there in the car park. He's been fetched somewhere by some guys in tuck-out shirts. Looks like he's been thrown into the car. Aiyya, you really like to exaggerate things, Tim. He's merely been shown the way into the car. You're very capable, you know. Hey, look over there. What? To the right, here comes some three tunnels. The army truck stopped in the car park, and a score of soldiers jumped off one of them. These soldiers were armed with rifles. One shouted some commands, and they fouled up the car park to the main building. They are NS men, said Tim. They must have been enlisted after we ORD, said Kwan He. What's going to happen next? asked Lina. I wish I knew. Let's get out of here before these guys seal off the place, said Kwan He. The treason made their way to the MRT station, a stone's throw away. Even a trained eye could make up nothing out of the ordinary on the road. There were no soldiers along the way. At the station, the cloud was thicker than usual. But most were students from the nearby polytechnic. As Kwan He, Lina and Tim live in Haogang, they had each other for company. Till the train arrived at Haogang MRT station. Nobody was at home at 79 Jalang Nuang, a semi-detached house among a clutch of terrace houses. Fonny had lived here all 23 years of his life. The only child of a scientist and student care teacher, he had no lack of attention at home. However, he was pretty, he was pretty much alone most of the time, and he had grown accustomed to growing up sense, sibling fights and tussles. The blaring of an internet screen on the wall in the bedroom interrupted his thoughts. We bring you the 6 o'clock news. 
Prime Minister Cham Thun Boon passed away at 6.45 a.m. today. The government is concerned that certain elements may take advantage of the situation to launch a terrorist attack on the country. It has appointed Colonel T. Bak Chai, commander of the FF Brigade, to take charge of the country. To facilitate detection of terrorist elements, there will be an island-wide curfew from 9pm till 9am tomorrow. All residents are to remain indoors during the curfew period. Regular programming will now resume. It was a short news segment that attempted to make normal of the situation in the country. Colonel T did not appear on the news program. Everyone said, trust the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister said, trust my men. This then started the journey down the road to perdition. And it all began with trust. Kwani's mother poked her face in the doorway. Kwan Hee, I've bought fried rice for you, she said. Your father won't be home tonight. He's busy at work. Then we need to talk, dear. Having said her piece, she turned back into the corridor. You're not making dinner tonight, Mum? Mum? He did not get an answer. Perhaps she had not heard him. Downstairs in the dining area, as they were eating, Bertha broached the matter of the army takeover of the country. Quan He, we must remain calm, said his mother, moving her hand to clasp his hand. Her voice was almost inaudible. There was a slight quiver in it as she continued. Quan He, your father, your father, he, the army has taken control of the defense agency where he works. He can't leave the complex for the next few days. Huh? It seems, I mean, this group that has taken control has put restrictions on entering and leaving all military installations. You know, your father is doing secretive work for the defense ministry. He, he may not be coming back for a while. Has he called back? Have you talked to him? Did he say anything? He called me at the workplace. He couldn't use his smartphone. They have banned all phones for the time being. I can't reach him now. All calls are screened by an operator. She keeps saying he's unavailable. I just don't know what to do. What did that say? We didn't get to talk long. He hinted that there was someone beside him. He, he just said he was fine. He wants us to look after each other. Sure, no problem, Mum. Can we go visit him? The curfew will come into effect in less than two hours. We have to hurry. I, I'm not sure we'll get to see him, but we need to try. I'm worried sick. Mum, Mum, we'll be alright. 
looks like I think our freedom has been curtailed. Someone has grabbed power and the government is in disarray. Kwani had no way to understand the full impact of the situation. The Singapore he lived in was like a dream country in others' eyes. All over the world, people have been flocking here to make a living, to set up home or send their children for an education. Singapore was, in their eyes, the ideal place to be in. There was hardly any corruption. No one intended, no one intentionally stopped anyone for a bribe. It was safe for women and girls to wander in the streets in the wee hours of the morning. And everything would work like clockwork. Almost everything, except for the MRT system, whose frequent breakdowns continue to put a dent on people's expectations of the public transport system. Still, the MRT system was loads better than those in the neighboring countries. Indeed, Singapore was a haven for foreigners. Locals, however, took for granted its efficiency and cleanliness. They had been lulled into complacency by decades of pampering by the government, which saw to their every need, so much so that they couldn't care less what happened in bureaucracy or who was in charge of what. It wasn't important. There was ample food on the table. Most owned their own homes, albeit HDB type, but still much bigger than the flats in Hong Kong. And life was easy and convenient. That was what counted, in their eyes anyway. The younger set, those born after 1960, they had not been privy to the suffering of their parents and grandparents, most of whom have since left this earth. What a change these locals would go through in the months and years ahead, nobody knew. Anyone would hazard a guess from looking at overseas examples of military-run countries. There was no need to look far. Some neighboring countries held lessons for them. For Kwan He, who had been living in the lap of luxury by foreigners' comparison, it was the same attitude. The mandatory national service he had struggled through a year ago held no meaningful lesson for him. He merely took it as a rite of passage that every Singaporean man had to pass and then forget. That's it. Period. He had yet to be called up for reservist duties. So, there was no urgent reminder to him that the security of the country was something no Singaporean should take for granted. Blame this lackadaisical attitude of young Singaporeans on the previous government. On the one hand, it did a remarkable job making the island state livable and enjoyable for its people. On the other, this bred ignorance and almost total abhorrence of participation in national issues. 
Yes. Blame it on the government. It created a good life for its people, but neglected to guard its own kitchen. It forgot that man was greedy by nature, that man was hungry for power, that with power came money and lust. Yes, money, lust, and power. These three things reared their ugly heads every now and then. One or more of them had caused tumultuous changes all through man's history. Or said, no one could actually predict what secrets a face held. And Colonel Tease was one that held many secrets. To his superiors, he was ever ready at their side, tendering to their needs. Who could resist fawning attention? He was the perfect example of a yes man, except he was merely acting. Ever the opportunist, he saw a chance to take power. He had soldiers. He moved around in high government. He had access to many government departments. He was trustable. The Prime Minister was pleased with his performance. And this moment in time, he saw the right situation. The Prime Minister was alone with him in the study at Delvi Estate. Both had been spending the wee hours of the morning pouring through documents on a terrorist group that had been attacking a littoral country. According to intelligence, Singapore was soon to be the next target. The PM's minders, bodyguards by another name, were downstairs taking an early breakfast. There were no CCTV cameras in this room, where the PM spent most of his time marrying personal and official matters. It was indeed the perfect time, just before dawn. He came up behind the PM who was typing something on the screen. One jab on the neck was all it took to down the man. As the PM slumped in his chair. He gave some instructions over his wristwatch phone. In minutes, the PM's minders would be coming up the stairs. He had to work fast to neutralize the communications network in the house. There was no one in the sitting room upstairs. The computer servers were in a pantry-like room next to it. He scanned a card on the screen next to the room. Once inside, he pulled out the cables behind the servers. That would shut down all communications with the outside world. He reached behind a tall cabinet and his fingers touched something cold. Good. Nobody has noticed it, he thought. He retrieved the gun, pulled out the magazine and snapped it back in. Next. He had to take care of the minders, two in the pantry below, two in the servants' quarters next to the kitchen, and another two at the main gate. The house sat in the middle of a big garden, big by Singapore standards, on top of a slope. It would be difficult taking out the guts from the road. 
The PM's wife was in the second bedroom on the other side of the sitting room. He didn't worry about her. She was a late riser. The couple had no children. Once downstairs, he raided the Glock 19. One of the good things about a Glock was that it didn't need to be caught, so there was no sound that would warn others, and leaned against the wall outside the pantry. He had seconds to take out these two minders. The report of the gun would send the last two minders scurrying here and raising the alarm. The next shift of minders would be here at 7 a.m. That's 30 minutes from now. Two shots were all it took to take down the two minders, and they were accurate, between the eyes. Yes, he had not lost his touch, despite being out of practice for years. Once a ranger, always a ranger. He had spent his prime years as a ranger in the Special Operations Forces. He took aim at the kitchen door. The two minders outside would be coming through that door in seconds. He fired another two shots as the door opened, and the minders dropped onto the floor. He would have alerted the operations center in Pearl's Hill. But he didn't have to worry. The security minders had no access to the command room at the Ministry of Defense. They could only activate the police patrols. This was of no worry to him. The PM's wife was the least worried. She was a sound sleeper. He stepped over their bodies and moved towards the main gate. He took down the last two minders who were running towards him. Then he whispered into his wristwatch phone. His men were waiting at a fork in the road. Two vans rolled up the driveway into the compound. Out jumped several men, all in tuck-up shirts. They saluted him and went about their tasks. It seemed they had been briefed exactly what they had to do. The PM's wife was awoken and dragged, along with a maid, into a servant's room. Then a huge truck lumbered into the compound. Out stepped a stout man who offered him a salute too. Colonel T got into the truck with the man. Inside, there were computer screens on the wall panels. There was a long countertop with telephones and foldable computers. Three other men were at the counter, typing furiously at the screens in front of them. Have you neutralized the command center? Yes, sir. Our men are at the command center as of now. We are communicating with them. Things are working as planned. What about the chiefs of army, navy, and air force? They are in good hands, sir. Good. And the deputy PM? And the defense and homeland security ministers? Our men have them in custody. The police? We have to deal with them too. The police commissioner is in custody and we should be taking over their operations center in 20 minutes. The TV station? We have control of the TV and radio stations. 
the Singapore Tribune. Han is there talking to the editors of the newspapers in the news holding group now. And the border checkpoints? All under control, sir. I want the guys at the border checkpoints to be alert. No government official must slip out of the country. Yes, sir. What about the Minister for Foreign Affairs? He's still in China. No need to bother about him. The power rests with the PM. And he's taking a long rest from politics and this world. Send the order. All men in our foreign stations to be confined to barracks until further notice. Yes, sir. And I want the commanders to fly back for a meeting this afternoon. Yes, sir. Also, confine the commando unit to quarters. Place a heavy guard there. Use our rangers. Yes, sir. Who's in Mandai? Captain Damien Tan, sir. He's now getting the tanks fueled and ready to move out. Good. We can't afford to be slipshod. Our lives are at stake. We can't eliminate all obstacles in one fell swoop. But we can try our best. I agree with you, sir. Warren, sir, use the tanks sparingly. I don't want to damage the roads. It's going to be expensive repairing them. Use more armored personnel carriers. Yes, sir. It's going to be a long day. Yes, certainly so, sir. My wife, have you got people there too? We were already there just before you left for Delvia Estate. And your son, sir, we are picking him up after school. Thank you. Good job, Warren. No worries, sir. The PM's guards will be here any time now with reinforcements. Two armoured personnel carriers are now outside, on the road. We have a squad of rangers hidden in the surrounding area. No one can get through them. Good. Dawn is breaking. Singapore is waking to a brand new government. I'll lead our people to greater heights. Of course, sir. I'm sure you will, sir. Warren, I need to freshen up. I need to get ready. The, Amer the American Embassy, sir? Yes, we've got to appease the American Ambassador. We must not forget. They are Goliath. We are David. But the American naval base has long gone from Sembawang, sir. Yes, but they are still quite near. In Australia. Got to calm them down. Yes, sir. Do we have people outside the place? No, sir. I'll see to it, sir. Assign more people there. Get Stephen over there. Do you know what to do? We need to stop people going in to seek asylum. Yes, of course, sir. We have now gotten control of the most modern armed forces in Southeast Asia. Fighter aircraft, submarines, destroyers, tanks, and our eye in the sky, the SG-17. Our neighbors won't risk of offending us. It's only the Americans and Chinese whom we need to manage carefully.
So, won't the foreign minister give trouble? Not to worry. Trump didn't treat the Chinese well. As long as we pander to them, we'll be okay. Gosh, I plead for God. I have to visit the Chinese ambassador too. Afterwards. Yes, sir. Shall I dispatch some people there too? No need. Chinese people won't go there. They know the Chinese won't welcome them. Not after what Chum did to them in 2027. You mean when he commented that the Hong Kong people should be given a choice in universal suffrage? Yes, and of all times, he chose to do so during the 30th anniversary of the for former colonies handover to China. What a laugh. Certainly so, sir. Narayanan won't be able to get the Chinese to help him. Remember yesterday's news? They even gave him a cold shoulder. Fancy him. Giving them expertise and guidance on developing their, their cities. And instead of thanks, receiving a lukewarm response during the city handover ceremony. Ha ha ha. And the internet, sir. Don't you want to reconsider your decision? No, not yet anyway. We need to keep business going. The last thing I need is to stir up animosity in the business community. Don't pull the plug on internet access yet. I understand, sir. One last thing. Yes? The bodies in the house, should we? Incinerate them at Sinoko. Aye, aye, sir. Shots rang out in the distance. More shots followed. Then came the rumbling of heavy vehicles and rapid machine gun fire. There was a succession of rapid gun fire. Then silence fell again. We have come to the end of the first episode of Where the Wind Blows. Do return for the second episode. Thank you very much.